want to read something or reiterate something for you. And this is something Romans is going to help us with. But verse 2 said, those he saves, he puts up with. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. Have you been thinking of yourself this week as his delight? As precious in his sight? See, Romans is going to help us with that. Study of the gospel is going to help us with that. Seeing God's love for us in His Son, applied to us by His Spirit, is going to secure us in Christ and help us to believe that despite ourselves, in spite of what we deserve, we are His delight. We are precious in His sight. He came to live for us and to die for us and to be raised for us. He is reigning for us and He's coming back for us someday. And we need to be grounded in our identity in Christ to walk through the trials of this life with confidence. And that's something that's going to happen or will grow in as we study this book of Romans. Turn to chapter 1 of Romans. You go past the Gospels and Acts, you'll hit the book of Romans. Uh, your Bible will probably start falling open there. We're going to be there for a while. Um, Get you a Bible that you can jot notes in and um, stay in the same one as we study. And I can tell you from personal experience and a lifetime of sort of dwelling in this book, there's great benefit to having this truth that is here in your heart. This morning I want to read from verses 1 to 17. We're going to look at the second half of Paul's introduction, verses 8 to 15. And really, this is us just, we're still getting to peek inside Paul's heart and life. We're still sort of hearing his testimony and seeing his passion, following Christ, his passion for the people of God. He said in other place, another place, follow me as I follow Christ. So a lot of our application today will flow from following him as he follows Christ, seeing what he examples, seeing if those things are resonating in our lives. But let's read verses 1 to 17 before we look into the Word. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son that without ceasing 
I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for Paul's example, Saul formerly, who would say of himself near the end of his life that he was the chief of sinners, but he had received mercy, that we all might have hope. Help us to have hope. Help us to have faith. Help us to believe you and trust you and love you and serve you. Help us to be filled with awe of you and thrilled by your grace to us in Christ. May the gospel marinate every ounce of our being so that we are filled with love for Christ, for gratitude to you, for a devotion and passion to you, Lord, that we might love you and live for you, that we might love one another like Christ has loved us, that we might love our neighbor as ourself and be as passionate about getting your gospel out as we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. Help us, Lord, this morning. Send forth your word in the power of the Spirit. Help me to preach it in the power of the Spirit, truthfully, accurately, Lord. Help us to hear it as the very word of God with an intent to love it and understand it and live in its light. Lift high your Son. Draw all kinds of people to yourself. Grow us in grace. Accomplish your purpose. Lord, we thank you for your word. We don't deserve it. We thank you for your spirit who empowers us and applies your word to us and changes us. We thank you for your son who has lived for us and died for us and been raised for us. We thank you for your love and the fact that you delight in us, you sing over us, that we are precious in your sight. Once your enemies, now your children, the glorious grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So bless us as we look into your word. We cry out for it. We know it's your will. We trust you for it. In Jesus' holy name. Amen. I spent too much of my Christian life, a lot of my early years of my Christian life, up until almost the time I enrolled in seminary, and maybe even a little beyond that, at least living like and, and sometimes and a lot of the times thinking like the gospel is just kind of the door into the Christian life. 
It was it, the, thinking that the gospel is the milk, the door, the entry point. So we come in through the gospel and receive Jesus, and then we move on from the gospel and begin to do things. I mean, I'm boiling that down. The gospel gets us in, but then we move on to the meat. That was my mindset. How about you? Maybe you still think that. I promise you that by the end of the book of Romans, you'll no longer think that. There's no more meatier thing than the gospel and understanding the gospel and seeing how the gospel should change everything about me, my identity, my purpose, my delight, my joy, my, my life. And that day after day after day, I never graduate from the gospel. I'd grow deeper and deeper and deeper in mining in that grace so that I grow in love for Christ and then I know I will be joyfully obeying Him if I really, really love Him. Romans will root us and ground us in the grace of the true and living God. Romans will change your life if you let it. And last week we got into the book just with the introduction. We saw Paul introducing himself to, this, to the church at Rome. He didn't bring up his past, but we know his past. And we, we talked about that a little bit. He was Saul of Tarsus, the great destroyer of the church that was converted. And now he says, by God's grace, he's an apostle. He's set apart to the gospel that was promised in the Old Testament scriptures about the coming son of David. And Jesus is descended from David according to the flesh, proved to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead. And he says that they've received grace. He's lumping himself in with the apostles there. Grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name. To all who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. And I point you back to that sermon last week, but just that's what we did last week. That was the first sermon in Romans. And this week we're going to look at the second half of Paul's introduction. Longest introduction he gives in any of his epistles. And uh, I think there's much to benefit from in this second part, especially as we seek to follow Paul as he followed Christ. As we see in him an example of of faith and love and obedience in Christ. As we find things in this, in this that show us His heart and things that we can uh, imitate here. There's something very foundational and very important for us here as we peek into Paul's love for the church and his great desire to see the church grow and thrive in Christ. And instead of leaving the gospel behind, he brings it front and center and keeps it there in his mission. So in verses 8 to 15, main point today is for us to learn from Paul's example. Really to be like Christ, because Paul has said, follow me as I follow Christ. But learn from Paul's example and grow in prayer, love, and fellowship. How? Through rehearsing and applying the gospel, which bringing things together here. We know that Christ, with His good news, with His grace, with His salvation, is the one that has transformed Paul from an enemy to an apostle and one who now loves the church. 
Learn from Paul's example and grow in prayer, love, and fellowship through rehearsing and applying the gospel. First, gospel-focused prayer. How did, how did the gospel change Paul's prayer life? You know he had to be a prayer before. He was a Pharisee, right? I mean, he was a right prayer, but he was probably praying all the time. But his prayers have been transformed by God's grace. And so look at it. Gospel-focused, Christ-centered, however you want to say that. This is not inspired. It's just my head, heading here for verses 8 and 9. But I'm always, I'm always both impressed and humbled and convicted when I look into Paul's prayer life. The amount of his prayer, the content of his prayer, the devotion of his prayer, the selflessness of his prayer. He didn't spend a lot of time just asking for stuff for himself. He was focused on others. Now watch this. Gospel-focused prayer. Paul diligently prayed for the church. Look what he says. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. <laughs> Can you pray that? I thank, I thank God for all of you. Even the ones of you... I mean, think about this. You think... I'm not saying this. I can get in trouble the way I say things sometimes. But... We don't all mesh together, naturally speaking. Sometimes we, are, we fit together instantly and, and, and easily, and other times certain people in the church can be sandpaper people that it's hard to... Hard to but, but the God's gospel is big enough for that. And he says he thanks God for all of them. And he gives us the reason. It's just a little hint. Work on relationships with people that it's difficult for you to have a relationship with. Not just the ones that are easy. That's easy. Right? Work with the, with the difficult... See what Christ does. See what Paul does. Anyway, Paul diligently prayed for the church. Look at this. Because of, he says, I thank my God through Christ Jesus for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, obviously, that's a note of hyperbole. He doesn't mean every single inch of the globe and every single person on the globe in that time speaking of the gospel going to the to the world and 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 all of that was the known world and particularly the greco-roman world the the roman empire the world in this in this case the world into which the gospel had traveled and people were talking about the fact that the gospel had made it all the way to rome the big city and people were being converted. We'll see later in Scripture. All the way into Caesar's house. Your faith is being proclaimed in all the world. See, Paul has a gratitude for grace in his own life. We've already seen that. But he also has a gratitude for grace in the church in Rome and elsewhere. And he's like, I thank my God through Christ Jesus for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. It's kind of like, it reminded me, so I put the verses here. Look at, look at what he said to the Thessalonians in chapter 1 of their conversion. 
and their faith being talked about everywhere. It says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything, for they themselves, the people we go to and talk to, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. All without Facebook and Twitter and texting and even telephones, this news is spreading that the gospel is spreading. And that people are coming to faith in Jesus, real and living faith, earth-shattering, life-changing faith, true faith. God had worked repentance and faith in Rome and in Thessalonica. And I love the description in Thessalonians. It just lays it out how you turned. There's repentance. Turned from idols. Turn from self-pursuit. Turn turn from having everything seek to line up into your way and serve you. Turn from false worship of false gods and anything that was sinful. Turning from that to serve the living and true God. And to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Some of us don't even have a concept of wrath. And a lot of church culture these days doesn't have a concept of wrath, doesn't know why there would be wrath, doesn't see why we should even talk about sin and wrath. Paul evidently thought it was important. Why? Because there is wrath. And we're going to, listen, we're going to talk about that in Romans. We'll get farther into chapter 1. We'll talk about wrath, but think of why would there be wrath coming? Why would wrath be coming? When Jesus comes again, He's not coming as the humble, suffering servant. He's coming as the conquering king. And why at the judgment seat would there be wrath coming to people? I mean, there's one little small word that we don't delve into much, and it's three letters called sin. A transgression. The soul that sins shall die, Scripture says. And that's just physical death, yes, but it's spiritual death. It's separation from God. It's an eternity of suffering. Why? Because we have offended a holy God. And we've incurred a debt that we could never pay in a thousand lifetimes. Sin brings wrath. And Paul said that you've heard that gospel, you've believed that gospel, you've repented and turned to Christ and received God's Messiah, God's Savior, who delivers us from the wrath to come, who died for our sins. See, somebody had to pay the... If I was going to go free, if I was going to be saved, somebody had to pay the penalty of my sin. I couldn't do it. Christ took the wrath I and you and you and you and you deserve if you're trusting in Him. And He drank that cup dry on the cross. As the God-man, He could do that. He took all of the wrath due us, His people, onto Himself. That's what it means when the Bible says He died for our sins. He died for our sins. 
according to the scriptures, everything predicted in the Old Testament. He said, it is finished. He, he went into the grave under the power of death for the time. He rose victorious the third day over death for our justification, proving it's all true. Talked about that some last week. Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. God has given, patiently given us time, having us heard the gospel, taught, calls us to repentance and faith in His Son, whom He has sacrificed for us, proving it's true from raise, being raising us from the dead. How do I escape the wrath of God? Is it by being good enough? No. It's by understanding that I can't, that I deserve condemnation, and turning to Christ and receiving Him as my Savior. Repentance from sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is what God commands, is what He grants through the preaching of the gospel. If He's at work in you, He will convict you of your sin and He will work in you to turn to Christ and receive Him as your Savior. Are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone this morning? Paul knows that from, of which he preaches. He's experienced it. He's gone from hating Christ and seeking to stamp out the church to loving Christ and seeking to establish the church. And he knows that one of the ways the church will be established is through the means of prayer. And so he's praying diligently for the church. Consistent prayer. Look what he says in verse 9. God is my witness. He's calling God to witness. He says, whom I serve from the heart with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without Ceasing, I mention you. Without ceasing, I mention you. First part of 10, in my prayers. Without ceasing. Does that mean every second of every day he's praying for the Roman Christians? No, it doesn't mean that. Obviously, if he was doing that, he couldn't pray for the Thessalonian Christians. And the, no, but it means he's constantly in prayer. And he's walking in an attitude of prayer. He's living in an attitude of prayer. And that he regularly and consistently prays for the Roman church. Without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. I just want to take you on a small tour. And I'll do this really quick of other times that he says something similar. So you can see what would intimidate you and convict you about Paul's prayer life. There's evidently a whole lot of people that he's consistently praying for in the church. And sometimes he mentions them down to the name in some of his epistles. But look at this, 1 Corinthians 1.4. He says this to the Corinthians. Now stop. If, have you read the book of Corinthians? <clears throat> this church did not have it all figured out. And some people today still walk in the confusion the Corinthian church was walking in. As Terry picked verses out of it, and a whole other discussion. But there was a lot of mess in Corinth. There was a lot of trouble in Corinth. There was a lot of problems in Corinth. And it had to be straightened out. But look what he says. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. He's confident and prayerful, not only for the Roman Christians and the Thessalonians, but for the Corinthians. Look at Ephesians 1.6. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You see how the list is adding up here? Philippians. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. It was a joy to lift them up. 
and to participate in God's mission and His redemption in Christ by using the means of prayer as a vital tool to see them brought to faith, sustained in faith, grown in grace, strengthened. Colossians, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. The Thessalonians, we've already seen, we, we give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our, our prayers. Even down to the individual, I said, Philemon, in 1-4, or there's only one, so in verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Do you see what I'm saying? Is this what he's saying to the Romans? Is just sort of the tip of the iceberg of his prayer life for the church because he sees prayer as a vital component of the mission. He sees prayer as a means of grace, how God will accomplish his work. So he knows that as insufficient as he is and needy as he is, and if you read scripture, you'll see him confessing all of that, that he is a vessel chosen by God through whom God will work because of his grace he will work through him to establish his church and he will use his prayers. The fervent prayers of a righteous person, man in James, accomplish much. Why? Because God's working through them, not because we're anything or we're doing anything. Do we trust him enough to pray? And do we pray in this kind of confidence and with this kind of consistency? The first challenge is for a gospel-focused prayer life. Legalism won't get you here. It won't get you here. Legalism produces some of the worst, worthless, driest prayers. God bless the missionaries and you move on. Why are you doing that? What would... And listen, I'm not. If, if you don't, if you haven't understood better than that, and that's what you've done, but but you see, Paul, when you see Paul's prayers, he's given some detail. He's given a lot of detail. Read through the. Uh, I pray for you regularly <clears throat> with a list of scriptures of Paul's prayers, so that I can pray scripture to God for you to come to faith, to grow in grace, all of all of that kind of thing. But see, Paul is an example as he is, you see his heart for people he's not met yet, and a church he's not been to yet, that he's pouring himself out constantly in prayer for them, that he, that he knows their faith. He's seeking to share the gospel with them. He's seeking to have them grow in grace in Christ. And he says, without ceasing, I mention you in my prayers. Why? Now watch this. We'll pick it up in verse 10. Asking, this is a gospel-focused love or a desire for Christ-centered fellowship, however you want to put that. But he says, asking, verse 10, just moving in, not quite the middle. Asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul deeply loved the church and he wanted to be with them. Look at that. It says, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now... now when you hear stuff like, at last, you know this is something that's on somebody's heart. This is something they've been asking for and waiting for and hoping for. When they say, hopefully now, at last, I can come to you. You see the passion in that? Look at first part of verse 11. I, for I, it would be cool if I could see you. I long to see, who do you say that to? 
Maybe a new love relationship that you're separated from. Maybe, I mean, a lot of our people, I mean, think about being on deployment. Being gone. I just can't imagine that. But if you're gone for seven months, hopefully your, your relationship is, is such that you long to see that person return. But you see this, this depth of affection that's here? At last I can see you. I long to see you. Paul deeply loved the church and he wanted to be with them. He longed to be with them. This is a deep desire. Fellowship was a, was, was a, a treasure and a high priority in Paul's life. Being with God's people. In worship and service to God. Encouraging and strengthening one another. We'll see that. It was a high point for him. Many, many today don't see it that way. Many today do not see it that way. Many today are doing things like, and these are oxymorons, internet church. Please laugh. That's not, that's, that's not a thing. Now, if you're watching the live stream and you're a shut-in and you can't get to you know, church or you can't make it to worship or anything like that, then live stream is a good thing. But God would have us together, rubbing elbows together, flesh and blood together, growing together. God would have us aggravating one another and frustrating one another so that we have to work through it and grow together so that we can imitate Christ and deny ourselves and sacrifice ourselves so that we can know that if our brother has something against us that we will run to them to make it right even if it requires humility and self-sacrifice. See, many don't see that as a priority these days. Many will call it home church when it's just them gathering their little family together or a little group of people that everybody likes and agrees with. Or many just don't do church. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. So you don't have to love the body of Christ to follow Christ. That seems ridiculous to me. You know why? Because it's ridiculous. Now you can be in the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa and a missionary come and you come to faith and you're the only one there. And yeah, I get that. There's special grace for that. But if you're just sitting home because it's easier and making some sort of pietistic comment like that, God's not pleased by that. That's not honoring to His name. You need to get yourself in the midst of some Christians who are going to rub you wrong and, call, and God's going to use it to grow. Most of the time, our time together is joyful, though. I, don't, I, I just don't get this. The first thing I felt when I was converted was I wanted to be with these weird people I used to not like. And the people I used to like that I partied with, I was like, huh, I don't believe I want to do that anymore. Not quite sure why, but No. Has God changed your heart? See, there's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians who do their own thing. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. And I know most of you don't know what I'm talking about. Go watch the old show. He wasn't by himself. See, in the New Testament, 
God's will is that you be part of a fellowship that has God-ordained leadership. What does that mean? Pastors who serve you and shepherd you well for Christ and in Christ and deacons who serve you. A gathering of very different people who have experienced God's grace and who are willing to work hard for the unity of the church, even through struggles. A place where church discipline can be faithfully done and the sacraments faithfully administered. A place where the gospel is faithfully preached. See, the New Testament is not, the New Testament model is not a bunch of independent, self ruled, disconnected groups. That's not the New Testament model. The, the New Testament model is not you getting disappointed or hacked off and, and, and staying home and doing your own thing or gathering a group around you that, that you're comfortable with. Many justify not connecting with the church, not having Paul's kind of passion for the church because they've been hurt. And I want to acknowledge that. Sometimes hurt very deeply. Sometimes very disappointed. Even pastors who are standing before you preaching and teaching the Word of God may be running off with the secretary or something. I don't know. You know, there's really bad things that happen and really uh, God dishonoring things that happen in the church sometimes. But getting hurt is a reality. It really is. And I, I, I've been hurt in the church deeply. I've been deeply disappointed in some people that I looked up to. And it hurt. It hurt. But see, the gospel's big enough and Jesus is worthy enough for you to flee to the throne of grace in your time of need and receive grace for yourself and healing and plug back into an imperfect body for, of people who are seeking to love and follow Christ together. In other words, there comes a time to look to Jesus instead of the people. And maybe you do have to go somewhere else. I mean, there are apostate churches with bad leadership who aren't honoring God, and sometimes we, we do need to go somewhere else. But if the people around you are seeking to love Christ and follow Him and all of that, throw her into it. Run to the throne of grace. Look to Jesus. What did He do? What was Jesus willing to do to put up with me and you? To fellowship, to have us be His delight. Well, the cross is the answer to that. How, must you, how do you need to go to the cross so that you can feed into this kind of love and unity for the body? Take the hurts that are real hurts to him and and realize that not every Christian did that to you and Jesus certainly didn't do that to you. And Jesus calls you into fellowship. And if you don't have this kind of longing for the body of Christ and the at last thing, if I can be with, you know, that's okay. Confess that to him. Lord, I've been disappointed. I've been hurt. I've been lazy. I've been foolish. Whatever it is. And I don't desire what you say I should desire. Help me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Change me. Help me to be like you, Lord Jesus, who sacrifices himself for us. Help me to sacrifice myself for my brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, the essential part of Christianity is self-denial. Jesus himself said, deny yourself, take up the cross, look to him, follow me. The only reason I'm hitting that hard is there's a significant contingent of that around here and I run into it all the time. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I don't go to church because people hurt and disappointed me. 
I do my own thing. I sit at home. Listen, if you're, I've said this before, but if you're watching me through that live stream and you're just doing that because it's easier and more comfortable, you need to get yourself off that live stream and into this church or some other church. Don't give up on the church. Christ certainly has not. And Paul did not. Think about love relationships. How, how many of you have in the history of your life been hurt by someone you loved or maybe even thought you would marry and then <clears throat> and most of you don't throw in the towel at that point of course we lick our wounds for a while and say I'll never like Barney on the Andy Griffith show I'm done with women <laughs> by the end of the episode he's on with another one But it calls for a certain amount of realizing reality. It calls for a certain amount of self-denial. See, Paul has certainly been hurt in the church. He's following Christ. He's being persecuted. All of these things are happening, but he longed to be with fellow believers, and he had a purpose for being with fellow believers. And look at 11b to 12. Why did... Why, in other words, he was, he was selfless in his desire. The reason he came to church was for other people. It was for God's glory and for other people first, way before he came into the picture. Look what his focus was. I long to see you that you might be what makes me comfortable. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. I long to be with you so that I can benefit you in Christ. I'm coming in focused with, a, with, with my heart set on edifying those around me, even if it's hard. He says, I want to I impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And don't think list of spiritual gifts, God's power poured out for ministry, certain thing, because he tells us what he's talking about. I see so much discussion at the end of verse 11, and I'm like, read the next verse. I want to impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Look, that is telling us what he's talking about, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. See, it's not that he had no part in the picture, but his goal was to edify those around him and be edified by them. By what? Their testimony of faith in Jesus. Their experience of Christ through the gospel. Paul's like, I want to be part of building this church up. And I know in the process that I'm going to be encouraged as well. I mean, teaching is always a two-way street. It, it should be. Marriage counseling, whatever you're doing, you, it should be, be giving and getting. You're, you're, you should be growing through the process. Paul's saying, I long to be mutually encouraged by the size of our houses and the shininess of our cars. No, by each other's faith. Don't you love it when you get around Christians who are talking about Christ and how Christ has saved them, sharing how Christ has either brought them to salvation or how He's working in their lives currently to grow them and deliver them from something? Mutual encouragement. 
God-focused, gospel-focused love. We've looked at gospel-focused prayer, now gospel-focused love or fellowship. He had an intense desire for the church. And finally, gospel-focused um, fellowship. I'm sorry. Gospel-focused love and now gospel-focused fellowship. He loved the church. And he wanted to fellowship with the church. And he had a big purpose for that fellowship. Look what he says in 13 to 15. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, or brothers and sisters, or brethren. This is the whole church. That I have often intended to come to you. He's planned often to come to them, but providentially hindered up until this point. And we know, listen, we know from church history, he'll get to go to Rome. But just not the way he thought he might. He'll go in chains for this gospel. But he'll get there. And God will use him even through those chains. Right? But he says, listen, I want you to know that I've often intended to come to you, but have been prevented so far. Why did he want to come? He says, in order that I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. In other words, he is an apostle to the Gentiles. I'll let you read Galatians for that. Um, he is a special assignment. I find that fascinating as well as a former Pharisee that God would, in his call on his life, would make him the apostle to the Gentiles. Um, but God is always stretching us. But he's, he's like, I want to have a harvest. And, and he's not just talking about a harvest of new believers, but a, but a harvest of that, some of that, the church growing in number, but also the church growing in depth. A harvest of growth in Christ among those who know Him. So conversion and sanctification. He sees all of that as a harvest. I want to reap a harvest there. And, and how's that going to happen? Look what he says in verse 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. Why was he under obligation? Because God had called him to that. God had called him. Remember the first part of the, the epistle. Uh, set apart for the gospel of God. God had called him. Jesus had called him. Revealed himself to him. Shown himself to him. Made him an apostle in his church. And sent him out with this gospel. Primarily to the Gentiles. He says, I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and barbarians, both to the highly cultured and the not so highly cultured, right? Both to the wise and the foolish, the smart ones and, well, the not so smart ones. To all people. What do you say he makes it his aim to do? That, to present everyone mature in Christ Jesus. He preaches the gospel. He lets God sort them out. But he's under obligation to bring the gospel to Rome because it's in a divine assignment. He's been called to it by God. To reach all kinds of people. To reach those in the church there and those outside of the church. You know, if you follow Paul through the scriptures as you read in Acts and other places, you know he doesn't just stay in the synagogue or stay in the church gathering. He's also out in the city with the gospel. Now, he, he wasn't as free as he had hoped to be when he went to Rome and he went in chains, but he still got to be around unbelievers. Some of them chained to him. Imagine being a soldier that was chained to the Apostle Paul and you came to faith. What a testimony, right? I thought this guy was a nut, but, but God, basically. 
He was sent there to reach all kinds of people, cultured and not, intelligent and not. Now, 1 Corinthians 9.16, I've got that up. For He says this, For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me, right? This obligation, this calling. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. That is one of the verses that just resonated, just tore me down when God was convincing and calling me to ministry preaching the gospel he says so I'm under obligation so it's kind of just this grudging burden right look in verse 15 I'm under obligation God's had mercy on me he's had grace on me first part of the epistle uh, called to Christ an apostle set apart to the gospel he's using me to bring people to faith in Christ I love and can't wait to come there yes I'm under obligation to bring the gospel to you but look at verse 15 so I am eager Eager to preach the gospel to you. Plural. You all. Southerners. Y'all. The Southerners have a good distinction between singular you and plural you. You and y'all. Sometimes it's you-ins and all sorts of things, but we don't do that, do we? No. Look at what he's saying. I'm eager to preach the gospel to the lost people who are in Rome. Just to them. Is that what he says? See, what I'm telling you, the gospel is not just the entry point. He said, I am eager. I'm under obligation to bring it there. I am eager to bring it there. I'm so eager I'm going to write it before I bring it there. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. You who are called to belong to Christ. You are called saints. All of the stuff we've already seen. See, he's, he, he's not just contacting the Romans to have missionary partners to go to Spain. He loves the church and he wants to invest in the church and he's eager to go there with the gospel. He loves people that he hasn't even met and he knows that the church needs the gospel. And he knows that God will use that gospel to do great work in the church. And through the church and out of the church. Look at the way he ends the book. The first part of what we read last week. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. God strengthens his church by his church marinating in his gospel and hearing Christ preached. That's as far as I'm going in that text again. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. That word for strengthen and establish in 1625 is the same word here where he's wanting to see them strengthened in verse 11. And that means to cause someone to become stronger in the sense, in, in the sense of more firm and unchanging attitude or belief. Strengthening comes to Christians through hearing, rejoicing in, and applying the gospel every day. God gives us breath to live on this planet. We never move beyond it. Strengthening will come to us. Depth and maturity will come to us as Christ becomes more and more the center and the gospel more and more more the marinade of our life. 
and this is what we look for out of our study in Romans, is to deepen in the grace and rooted down into Christ and living within and for Him and being confident on a daily basis that we are His delight, that we are reconciled to God through Him, that our sins are forgiven, that we're clothed in His righteousness, that we're empowered by His Spirit, we have the very Word of God to love and live for Him. See, Paul is eager to preach the gospel, which he does in the form of this letter before he actually goes there. But later, he will go there in chains for this very gospel. You see Paul's heart? You see Paul's desire? You see Paul's devotion? His, his gospel Christ-centered, his, his devotion to prayer, his love for the church, and his desire for fellowship in the church so that he can be an agent through whom the gospel flows, leading to strengthening and building up of the church. And we're going to begin that next week as we look at the theme verse for the epistle, verses 16 to 17. But before we go, let's just rehearse and think about how to sort of apply that. to remind ourselves of God's gospel, to remind ourselves of Christ and His living and dying and rising and reigning for us and all of the truths of justification and sanctification and being made His children, adoption, all of, all of that. We should be marinating in that so that it is our joy to do these things and to grow in them. But the first one is apply the gospel by praying more for the church. Grace Church out, not just Grace Church. Yeah, yes, please pray for Grace Church and please pray for us. But out from us, other churches, and out from that, churches around the world and persecuted brothers and sisters around the world and those who need encouragement and the gospel. Be a self-sacrificial for the church prayer. Spend less time asking God for a list of stuff for ourselves and more time in line with His Word praying for our brothers and sisters around the world. Yes, starting here. Please, I'll say it again. Pray hard for us. The battle is just as real here as it is anywhere else. But apply this gospel should make us more and more and more people of prayer, individually and corporately. Secondly, apply the gospel by longing to be with the church. And I put here warts and all. Don't look for a perfect church full of perfect people. That's in heaven. <laughs> That's when we're glorified. Look for a group of people who are struggling to follow Christ and doing it together and seeking to line up with His Word and blowing it sometimes and needing to say I'm sorry sometimes and needing, you know, all of those things. Why do, why do you think Scripture has to tell us to fight for the unity of the church? Because we're all very different. We all have very different sort of mindsets, and sometimes those come into conflict with one another, and we have to be able to work it out Christ's way, or we'll never work it out. And the first step in that is humility. Apply the gospel, though, by longing to be with the church. First and foremost, why? Because Christ and who He is and what He's done for the church and His devotion to His church getting on board with Him. Find the best church you can find according to biblical criteria and pour yourself in there. 
and expect hardship and disappointment and struggle because that's what the Christian life is, and he grows us through it. Yes, there'll be joys and excitement and hopefully seeing people come to faith and grow in grace, but don't expect it to be easy. And the first time somebody hacks you off, don't run out the door or crying out loud. That's not being like Jesus. Or the 750th time somebody hacks you off. Apply the gospel by longing to be with the church. Hurts and all, warts and all. Find the best one you can find. Deny yourself. Be humble. Focus on others first. On God's glory first. And others' edification. That's what we see here in the life of Paul. And now here's something that's going to sound weird to you. I'm moving quickly. Apply the gospel by gospeling the church. How many times lately do you remember sitting down with a brother or sister in Christ and sharing the gospel with them? That sounds weird, doesn't it? Because we're not in that habit. Let me tell you about Jesus and who He is and what He's done for me. Same thing He's done for you. We should be going, we should be fellowshipping in the gospel. See, we don't talk to other people about the gospel. One of the reasons is we don't talk to each other about it. We'd rather talk about football or guns or beach or... Gospel the church. See, that's what Paul wanted to do. He wanted to go gospel the church. He wanted to share the gospel of the church. And, and it doesn't have to be a very simple uh, sort of 10-second presentation. Read the book of Romans. We'll gospel the church as we talk about these things, as we study through them. When we get in, in verse 18 of chapter 1 and start talking about the wrath of God being revealed, we talk about that and we'll grow in it. Why is there wrath? What is sin? You know, all those things. But we need to, we need to go, apply the gospel to our own lives by talking about Jesus a lot. Share the gospel with each other. Revel in God's grace together. Recurse God's grace and rejoice together. All it's going to do is increase your love for Christ. And increase your love for one another. Because as different as we are, we have the same Savior. And we dwell in the same grace. And hallelujah, what a Savior. Who would die for His enemies. Who would deny Himself and take our debt and pay it. Who would spend Himself to reconcile us to God. And therefore, we can do that for one another because we're looking to Christ. And if somebody's hurt us or crossed us, we can deny ourselves. And we can even pay the debt if we have to. To see that relationship Reconcile. Self-denial will come through this living and marinating in the gospel. We'll remind ourselves who we are, what we deserve, and what Christ has done for us. I truly, truly believe that one of the outflows is if we're faithful to dwell habitually in God's grace, it will fuel our prayer life. It will fuel our church life. And it will fuel our gospeling the church life, and it will fuel our outreach life. Because we'll all be reveling in Christ together. We will all be encouraged. We will all be edified. We will all be eager. Let me ask you, are you eager to talk about Jesus? Are you eager to share the gospel with your brothers and sisters and then with those who don't know Him? Do you see it as an obligation? All that stuff we'll talk about in Romans. God has called His church to be... What is our, His command to us? In fulfillment of the, the, you know, the, the mandate in Genesis and everything, go into all the world. 
right? Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Share how Christ has worked in your life, and as you do, be sure you share the gospel so it's not all about you. But see, we should recognize our obligation, but we should also be eager because of the grace that we've received in Christ Jesus. And the more we grow in grace and the more we wire up in the gospel and, his, and walking in prayer and love and fellowship through rehearsing and applying the gospel, the more eager we're going to be to talk about Jesus, both with those we're comfortable with and those we're not, and see God do great things in His church and through His church to the glory of His name. See, the gospel is not the door. Jesus is the door. And the, He's the door into the grace in which we stand, grace in which we live, grace from which we never depart, gospel from which we never depart. We are saved by grace and we grow in grace and all through growing deeper in our knowledge of God's grace to us in Christ, the good news of the gospel of His Son. And next week we're going to dive headfirst into this gospel by looking at His theme first. Please pray for that. Please marinate your hearts in His grace to get ready for that. And prepare for growth as we dive into the book of Romans. Prepare for growth in grace if you know Him. Prepare maybe for salvation if you don't. I pray that some of our children will come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as we study through Romans. I pray that some of our adults will come to faith. I pray that some through the live stream will come to faith. I pray that all of us who know Him will grow in grace, and we will, as we more and more own the fact that only because of His glorious grace we are precious in His sight. Christ has loved us, has lived for us, has died for us and been raised for us. Paul has exampled how that should shape our heart and therefore our life. Let it be our prayer that that be happening more and more in us and that God would richly bless us as next week we begin in the theme verse of this book. To live as Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Have mercy on us. Our default setting is is not the gospel. Our default setting is, is ourselves. And Lord, just help us. Help us to rededicate, and use that word in the right way, to rededicate ourselves to you, our hearts to you, our minds to you, everything that we are to you, to, to, to dedicate ourselves to your church by praying for your church and longing for your church and um, fellowshipping as much as earthly possible with your church and seeing that the treasure of this life and being with you and with your people together. Help us to gospel one another and, and grow in, in our knowledge of the gospel, grow in our ability to talk about the gospel and then to talk to others about the gospel who don't know you. Lord, may we be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. May we be cleansed from our sin and filled with your spirit and empowered to really dedicate to this study in Romans, knowing that you will greatly strengthen us and grow us in grace and that some will come to faith. Lord, so I pray for each one of us to have a heart of love for you, for one another, for our neighbor, 
And in our hearts of love for you, may it include a love for your word and a trust in you to use your word to make us like Christ. Lord, comfort the morning, strengthen the weak. <clears throat> Life is hard, and we do have many struggles. Humble the proud. Clarify the confused. Work in each one of our lives through this sermon and the rest of them as we look into your glorious word and your glorious good news in the glorious book of Romans. We, uh, we pray for it. We dedicate to it. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.